Hey ladies, welcome to the Diamond Hands Podcast. Welcome to our community and explore the exciting industry of medical aesthetics and hear from experienced med spa owners and relevant industry experts to guide you on your path. Mindset, money, practice management, marketing, find it here. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Diamond Hands Podcast. Today, we are so excited to have Dr. Zoe Gazzola um, with us today. She owns Endigo Clinic, um, which is, she has two locations, one in Florida, one in New York, and she is one of the go-to practitioners in this industry for two things training for you know aesthetic providers who want to really understand ethnic skin more and also she is known nationally so welcome hi super excited to be here yeah <laughs> me too can i mean like you're the oh, chancolata queen oh the chancla queen girl <laughs> you know i will not hesitate to hit anybody with that chancla <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what a chancla is basically if you were doing something bad when you were young, your parents would come at you with that flip flop, that, that flip flop, that sandal. <laughs> yep, that's right. It is that's no right. joke. I love it. So where are you now? I know you were busy, busy, busy last week in New York with all your clients and everything. Like you had a huge, you had a huge like undertaking. Like where are you yeah. now? So I'm in Miami right now, and okay. of course, seeing patients here now. Um, yes. so kind of crazy going back and forth between New York, Miami. So I moved out of New York um, in December. So it's going to be almost wow. a year down here. And, you know, I moved down here, obviously, for the unfortunate situation in which New York is in and just yeah. getting worse. Um, but, you know, a lot of my clients moved down here to Florida anyway. So it was nice. a pretty transition for me. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah, New York is crazy. I know you had talked about it recently, like on, on your Instagram, but you know, I went to New York recently, much like you, and I had to show my vaccine card everywhere just to do anything. Yeah. And it was I mean, so have, creepy. You know, go into any like basically to do any like social anything, you have to show proof of vaccine, which is crazy to me. I know. But, I was like, ah, Spread it. So, what did this card show? Compliance. Okay. Compliance. Compliance. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want to go too far left. So, so basically, you know, um, Zoe, do do tell us, like, you know, um, where did you grow up, and you know, tell us a little bit about your background and what was your first inspiration to even get into the field of medicine. All right, so, all right, I'm Mexican. Um, both of my parents were actually illegal immigrants. Um, yes. I, was born in, I was born in El Paso, Texas in a border town. Um, and so I grew up between Texas and um, a small little village in Mexico in the yeah. middle of the And so I, I'm from a, a little indigenous town of just a few hundred people. Wow. Um, you know, our town is like not even on the map, you know. <laughs> No, no roads, no nothing, no running water, no electricity, none of that. Um, so that's kind of where I'm from. You know, I identify myself as an indigenous Mexican woman. Um, Mm -hmm. my parents came here. I started school here, um, learned English. Um, and honestly me 
I guess tracking back to where I am today now is just, it was really just a thing of like survival. Like I mm-hmm. had to it. So like everything that I did, I was kind of like an overachieving kid just because mm-hmm. I was so desperate to like make it you know? So, um, you know, I wanted to pick something that was really difficult. And so I chose that nursing route because Mm. it's a long, hard road. Um, and I, I always wanted to heal and help people. And Mm. so I went all the way and, you know, went all the way to my DMP. Wow. That's so great. Yeah. Cause you um, went to Chamberlain university um, that's where you got your, you have a lot of education in here. <laughs> and I, and I think yeah, so I got, great. yeah, I got my bachelor's degree from Grand Canyon University in Arizona. And then I got yeah. my master's degree at um, Northern Arizona University. And then I did my doctorate degree at Chamberlain University. So yeah. self-made, nobody paid me. My parents didn't pay for nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You heard that, mm-hmm. you heard that. It's like, you know, I really do think, you know, some people when they see the success, they can really make assumptions about people. And, you know, I want to ask you, like, what, if you could list, like, maybe the top three myths about you, what do people say about you that is, like, a myth? Um, well, one, people, uh, I had posted something really funny. I thought it was pretty funny, and mo- most people did, except for, like, five people, you know? Um, <laughs> but there was one thing um, that I posted was that was so hilarious, and then people started saying that I was racist. And then, yeah, I know, like so far from the truth, right? And then I had people saying that I was misogynistic. Yeah. Okay. That I hate women. Okay. And then the other one is that I'm just white privileged, which I'm not white and I'm far privileged. So it's pretty crazy how reckless people are on the internet without Hmm. any like, you know, factual information. And I think now, like, especially with, um, you know, like with COVID emotions are high and mm-hmm. especially with a lot of like these, like, um, movements like BLM and, and, and like anti-racism, all these other things, um, happening, people are extra sensitive about, yeah. uh, racial, uh, topics. And so, um, unfortunately, and I do say unfortunately, because everyone thinks that everything is racist when it has nothing yeah. to do with it. You know, and then so, you know, people want to like automatically make it about color and make it about Mm -hmm. race has nothing to do with either. So, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I I would have to agree with you on that. And 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 so many people, they say this is happening and that is happening and this is happening. And I'm like, are you sure you're not just watching the news? Because in my experience as a black woman in the United States, have I had some crusty people say some off flavor things to me? Hell yes, I have. However, that hasn't stopped me from running my business or networking and meeting people or what have you. So I I sometimes think there's almost like two realities going on. And it's like, it's just based on, it's very subjective. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think I made a comment about the border crisis and Mm -hmm. somebody, oh my God, what would you know? What do you mean? What I what what would I know? I grew up on the border, and my parents were both legal wow. that crossed that border. The you know wow. the real. So it, it, it's just unbelievable. Like people have absolutely no idea, and um, you know a lot of the things that you know people just assume is just so far from the truth. You know, because mm-hmm. it's not even close. It's crazy. Yeah. 
And, and I think, you know, in, in this day and age, we have so many people who are keyboard warriors. And if they were in person with you, they would never even they say would never. anything. They'd just be those people looking at you side eye like, mm, mm, and they wouldn't even never. say anything. That's and the thing that's so sad. It's always a troll account. It's never an account with like an, an actual like face and individual information. It's always a troll account. Wow. It's so sad. Oh my God. So I digress, but you know, I do want to know for, for you. So what type of nursing were you in before you started to make the transition to aesthetics? Um, okay. So I've actually always been in the world of plastics and aesthetics because I was actually a medical assistant back in the day when I was still going into nursing school and I worked mm -hmm. for a surgeon. So nice. I was always in it. Um, did I, I never intended to stay in that field because mm -hmm. my passion and my dream was always to go into the ICU. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I got my RN, I, um, the plastic surgeon I was working for was like really pushing me to do injections. I just mm -hmm. didn't really for it at a time you know I mean this is like back in like 2007 and I just didn't care um I really wanted to go to the ICU but he was you know he was an older man and he was just like no please I don't have time and I don't get this and I don't understand these injections and all this mm -hmm. you know I mean it was like so long ago like things um I remember like purling was out and like radius mm -hmm. was just coming onto the market it was so yeah. different and so I've always been in it um and then when I did finally go work at the ICU, um, he just, it was just, please stay part-time. Like, even if you just work like two days a week injecting or whatnot. Wow. So that's kind of how that started. So I've always been in it, but it was not like a choice. It was more yeah. of like, I felt bad. I was like, oh, fine, <laughs> fine. You know, and then I just, you know, I ended up just kind of developing my skills and learning more and more new things um, mm -hmm. and kind of just building my own little following. And yeah. that's, that's how it went. Yeah. That's so cool. And, and, and with that, I know you, you kind of started in a way that you didn't want to do that, but at like, what point did you like fall in love with it? And you're like, wow, I'm really onto something. Um, I'm going to say probably like 2014 mm -hmm. when I started to have like a wait list and that wow. was, how do I have a wait list? Or, you know, <laughs> like my schedule would be out and then the receptionist would be like, there's people calling asking to be put on a wait list. I'm like a wait list. And so um, I, that was just weird. And I just, I don't know. I think it was just that moment that like, I literally just like looked at the computer and I saw my books and I was like, holy crap, I am doing so much of this. It's not even funny. And it's and it, and it, at that time, you know, it was definitely more chill than, you know, the ICU. So yeah. I ended up, um, I ended up slowly cutting back on the ICU days. Like I would be just like one day at the ICU and then it turned into just four times a month. And then mm -hmm. from four times a month, it went to two days a month. And then it just, I finally stopped. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. so great. And you know, how did, so with your plastic surgeon, I mean, he obviously was some sort of like a mentor to you and everything. I mean, uh, at what point in your journey were you like, okay, I'm ready to kind of go do something on my own? When did that happen for you? Um, so the plastic surgeon that I, um, that I was working with at the time, um, so he, he passed away a few years ago. He was an older gentleman already, but he kind of just came to me when I, I think like a few days before I graduated from NP school and was like, mm -hmm. 
I'm tired. I'm retiring. And you have to continue. Like you have to continue because you have done so well. You have to continue. And um, during uh, around that time, I had always uh, I had also met Dr. Daryl Blinsky, who is a plastic mm -hmm. surgeon here in uh, Miami. And, you know, he was another supporting person in my life as well. And yeah. um, just, you know, he just made me feel like I just really knew my stuff. And he made me feel a lot more confident in this. And mm -hmm. um, that I just that's just how it went. Like, I just said, okay, you know what, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And, you know, mm -hmm. Dr. was like, you have my full support. Like, wow. and you know, he became my collaborative, um, physician and, yeah. um, you know, the rest is history. Wow. That's so great. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, um, um, Simon Sinek, he talks about like confidence and like, you know, you were able to kind of, um, glean some confidence from these doctors who believed in you because like confidence, it, it, like the root word of confidence is comic together. And it's like, it's through other people. We kind of mirror, uh, you know, their beliefs on us, our beliefs on them. And it's kind of like a cycle in a way. And it's like, that's yeah, like I mean, and I think, you know, also, I think, you know, when, when other colleagues or when you know when other plastics would start to um ask me questions i'm like why are you asking me questions you're the expert wow. you know and it was just one of those like oh my gosh i i think i know more than i think or you wow. know, I, I, like i think i just know more than i think i know you know it was just one of those things and that that really gave me the confidence to to kind of keep it going and and go full time so i i literally just dropped everything i dropped the icu mm -hmm. at the moment i was working on the swat team um, putting wow. in glass and stuff, um, with ultrasound. So like, I just stopped that and I just took a mat, like just a massive leap of faith and it, it just mm -hmm. worked. It worked really well. That's so cool. And, and with that, like, I know your journey's probably a little bit different than, um, some of these other, um, DNPs or NPs who were working in the ICU for 10 years before they made the, you know, proverbial leap. You know, how, how do you feel that, you know, their experience differs from yours in, and as far as like how you approach, you know, aesthetics, because you kind of went into it from plastics to this. Um, well, I think it really just boils down to um, hands-on experience and OR mm -hmm. experience because it's very different. Mm -hmm. You know, I started with, you know, reconstructive plastic surgery and wow. watching it day in, day out, seeing it every day, seeing the progression of uh, procedures, seeing complications, seeing all of that from a medical assistant standpoint and all these years throughout mm -hmm. I think um I think that has given me like I guess that one up in aesthetics because um you know I've seen all these deep plane facelifts you know like yeah. it the live and um you know just just seeing all these things of how a plastic surgeon thinks you know how they mm -hmm. move and how they view things um and so I think that's kind of how my track of you know thought goes as well um, just learning so much from them, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to just, you know, taking some, you know, filler and neuromodulator class, um, and taking a few courses and cadaver classes. I, it's very different when you learn from a plastic surgeon, like just day in and day out for sure. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, like you said, the, the fact that you were a medical assistant too, was huge because when you're kind of operating as a business owner coming in and you haven't gotten to see how a business operates in all of its different moving parts, it's a little bit harder, but you know, 
you being in there working like in the trenches, <laughs> you kind of got this. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally started from the bottom and I've yeah. literally have played all those like, you know, I, I've been through down those roads, you know, like I, I was the medical assistant and I was also doing all the, the phone calls and, you know, answering the phone and everything. And then I went from RN to NP to DMP. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to like now, you know, managing my practice and doing practice administration mm -hmm. and education. So I've gone through all of those steps, which I think in my um, mind, it has tremendously helped me run my practice you know, smooth because I know those roles yeah. and the scope of practice within those roles as well. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to hire this person to help me. It's another thing to know exactly how they're helping you and what the blind spots are and all that stuff. And, you know, so another thing you want to like kind of get into now is like, so you, you open up the Indigo clinic and you have become nationally known for treating, you know, black skin, uh, you know, Fitzpatrick, you know, three plus, I have you, four yeah. plus, yeah, four, five, six, like, I don't know, what, what, what am I, five, four? You're like a five, six. Mm, okay, mm -hmm. so you know, it's just like, you know, you, yeah, you're a little five, six. <laughs> little five, six, ooh, little glow, but it's just like, so you become like kind of a go-to specialist in this skin type. So I, I want to ask you because, I love it when I meet people who see an opportunity and they see a niche and they're like, okay, I can help these people. So tell me what was the start of that? And yeah, what was the start of that? Okay, so for a short period of time before I started my practice and when my doc retired, um, I was working um, in dermatology and, um, you know, I, I was doing uh, just aesthetic, just aesthetic, aesthetic, aesthetic. And I, you know, there was like, this practice had like every laser in the market, you know, and um, all kinds of devices and all kinds of things. And I have melasma, I'm a skin type four. So um, I wanted to get laser on my face because my, you know, my melasma was like just crazy at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I remember like, they're like, oh, sorry, like you can't do this laser because you're skin type four. It's only for skin type one, two, and three. So I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, is there another laser that you can, you know, that we can do? Because we literally had like at least 20 lasers in there. There was two lasers that I could do that were like safe for my skin type. And that, and that, you know, when I, when I realized, I was like, I'm actually only seeing white patients here. And I just kind of started to see that pattern, you know? And then I was like, why aren't, why aren't we seeing any Hispanic? Why aren't we seeing any black women here? Mm -hmm. And it just kind of like dawned to me that I was like, oh, because it's not safe for our skin type. It's like these treatments are not catered for our skin type, right? Yeah. So I think that's kind of like that moment where I was like, you know, I'm gonna do something about that because this this can't this can't be it, you know, mm -hmm. like it just can't be it. So um, that's kind of where that passion started, where um, you know I wanted to be all inclusive, right? And yeah. I wanted to make sure that I was treating people, my people, as yeah. well. And yeah. that's where that came. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's a big thing. It's almost like, you know, when I was younger and, and you know, I grew up in a, a prim primarily Caucasian neighborhood and, you know, so go get your hair done. Mm, you go in there. Yeah, where are you like, going? What are you doing? And they'd be like, oh, we don't know how to do 
guess I'll just wear a half roll or something. And so until right. I found out that there were people who actually understood how to do my hair. And, and, and it's like these schools, you know, these schools, these uh, skincare schools, these hair schools. In London, they actually just passed, a, I think it's a lot. I have to double check, but in London, they just passed a thing. You, in, in the hair schools now, you have to learn how to do ethnic hair, different hair types. So it's not just, you come to our yeah. school and you're only learning about Caucasian hair types or that right. type of thin, you know, thinner hair. And so right. it, it's very interesting. So when it comes to aesthetics, what are the gaps that you're seeing in a lot of these training schools around the country, in other med spas? What are the gaps that you're seeing in the marketplace? People don't know how to treat people like of color. It's it's really simple, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, three weeks ago I was at a conference presenting on aesthetic next, and that's exactly what I what I spoke about. And you know, um, unapologetically, right? I was like, listen, all of you guys just know how to treat white people, but you don't know how to treat people of color. And um, you know, it's one thing that I found interesting was, um, and I think I had mentioned this to you before, and I also mentioned it at the conference, and a lot of people were very shocked and surprised to know that the FDA has never, um, or any of these studies with filler, they have never included mm-hmm. people skin type four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. They've included people of color. Um, and so um, the FDA had a, um, like a panel meeting thing um, this past March, and they just now had you know, made it a thing where it's like, now you have to include at least 30% of your study, it has to be Fitzpatrick four, five and six. And I'm in my mind thinking like, it's 2021. And you're just now thinking about people of color. You know what I mean? It's like you either assumed that we weren't getting a set of procedures before, or you assumed that we just didn't have access to them. You know what I mean? Which is absolutely crazy. Because Ever, I mean, since, since I can tell you ever since I started to focus more on, um, you know, uh, p- you know, people of color in 2014, um, I've been majority of my practice, 80% of my practice is black women. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, people of color are seeking a set of treatments. It is becoming mm-hmm. more and more popular. Um, Mm -hmm, But unfortunately, mm -hmm. the studies and the education are just not there. And it's not just about education uh, regarding like, oh, you know, this is how you fill this or this is how you put Botox here. It goes Mm -hmm, beyond mm -hmm. that. It's it's it goes beyond, you know, into like cultural diversity, cultural competence and um, cultural competence is not something that you can teach. It's something that you have to be immersed in and experienced. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, um, the industry does not have that, you know, because they, mm-hmm. you know, these kind of industry, this industry is a luxury industry. So they're yeah. mainly in like the, the, the white neighborhoods, right? Like the rich True. white neighborhoods, right? They're not going to be in an urban type setting, you know, because they assume that we can't afford it. They assume that we don't have access to that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it, it's a whole like thing, you know, with, with that. Yeah, and that's true. And and then, you know, just playing devil's advocate here too, you know, it's like, as far as like urban settings, typically they're urban for a reason, you know, as far as like, there's usually a lower income subset of people and they could be right. any color. It's just lower right. income. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these treatments but are it's $900. What do you say? Yeah, I, I said it's assumed that only like majority 
people mm -hmm. of color live in these urban areas. It's assumed. And that's true. Yeah. It is assumed. Yeah, because I, my family, we were, we were one of three black people in our neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> that was one of two in my high school class. But it's just like, you know, at the same time, if there is a med spa in a town like I grew up in, and there's literally like three black families in the whole entire town, how practical is it from a financial and educational standpoint to get all this extra education if 99.9% .9 of your clientele, remember I'm playing devil's advocate, if 99.9% .9 of your clientele who are coming in are just what lives there? Right. It's true. It's very true. And so, you know, that is that is the gap. Um, but, you know, in 2009, or I'm sorry, in 2019, um, more Black, Hispanic, and Asian women sought more aesthetic filler than white women that year. Yes. So, you know, it's changing. You know what I mean? It's definitely changing. The, the industry mm -hmm. is changing. And also, you know, here in America, I truly feel now that us minorities are the majority now. You know, oh, yeah. and we're all mixed, we're all yeah. blended. And mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, that that is causing a major shift in our industry because there there isn't really any reference points as far mm. as, um, you know, like filler, like adverse events or filler yeah. complications or anything like that with ethnic yeah. skin, because there hasn't been any studies made on them. They, they, we, we have not been included. And mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um you know, I, I had an adverse event um, back in March, actually, and my, my client was skin type six. And, um, you know, I, I had three different differentials. I was like, you know, and I was like, okay, well, this is either impetigo, this is herpetic zoster, or this is a vascular occlusion. It's one of the three. But, mm -hmm. you know, just going down the timeline and looking at everything, I couldn't, I couldn't find any pictures of a skin type six with a vascular occlusion. I couldn't find any reference whatsoever to kind of help me, you know, make that that clinical um, decision. I reached out to several colleagues. I reached out to all kinds of people, and mm -hmm. nobody had ever treated a vascular occlusion on a skin type six. And wow. I was like, "How is this possible?" I was like, "There has to have been a vascular occlusion on a black woman." I mean, this is crazy, mm -hmm. you know. And so, you know, that was another thing too, that I was like, okay, now I got to push this harder because this is, this is crazy. And as more and more minority women are seeking aesthetic treatments, we're going to mm -hmm. see more complications in yeah. people of color. And so we need reference points. We need to be able to see and compare and collaborate care, you know, with, with this, you know, specific um, you know, with these specific skin types. So luckily, you know, it was neither, it was, she ended up having a, a, a coincidental herpetic zoster outbreak, you know, mm. um, but if you can imagine, you know, had it been a vascular occlusion, I mean, even been able to, I, I mean, yeah. it, it would have just been assumed, right? It, had I not done all of these labs and all of these things and ended up weeding out like, you know, by process of elimination, but I couldn't mm -hmm. find a single picture to show me a skin type six vascular occlusion. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, with that, and I, and I know that you talked about, you know, now these companies have to include um, four five and six in their clinical studies going forward. Uh, however, it's like a question I have for you. If 
a person of color or is looking to get aesthetic treatments, typically, if you're kind of, kind of comparing, you know, Asian to African American or whatever, how do they age differently? Because, you know, we do age differently. So very different. Explain though. Yeah. Explain that a little bit. How do we yeah. age differently? Um, so, you know, um, it's very different, you know, white skin ages very different than black skin, than Asian skin. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think that, um, typically in the industry, you know, it's, we put filler here, there, and all these other places, but mm -hmm. I, I have found mm -hmm. personally that when it comes to, um, minorities, you know, uh, where skin is thicker, and, um, you know, our faces are a little bit fuller too. And so we don't require or need or want even um, all these other fillers, you know, mm -hmm. like the aging process is a little bit different, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think for, for ethnic aesthetic, it's mainly about enhancing features and mm -hmm. more of a skin um skincare type thing as opposed to more of filling um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know because you know typically white women have thinner skin because mm -hmm. of less melanocytes we have more melanin the more melanin mm -hmm. you know the more um the less you're going to age right mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um it's definitely very different and i and, and the industry for the most part, doesn't understand that because if you, you know, if you have a black woman that comes into your practice who has like a flawless face like you, right? And you have beautiful big lips, but you come to the practice and you're like, I'm a lip filler. They're going to look at you crazy. Or, you know, they're going to be like, what? But they're not going to understand, right? They're not going to understand what to do with you, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but it's really, and again, I, and this is just, again from you know I, I lived in black neighborhoods yeah. most of I, most of my patients are black mm -hmm. and I deal with black women day in and day out and so now I can confidently say to you that I know what majority of my black clients want mm -hmm. you know they want to enhance their features and I see that in their culture you know mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. their features enhanced is beautiful so if you have big lips they want them enhanced they want mm -hmm. it more defined they want mm. crisp clean borders you know and so um you know it's it's those type of things that that we need to understand yeah, definitely. And I, I even noticed that I'm even talking about myself and my family. Like, you know, I'll, I'm in, I'm 34, but, you know, you, I start to, what are they called? I'm not, not the, the tear uh, troughs. Yeah. yeah, the tear troughs, they start looking a little interesting over yeah. time. And like hair in my family starts looking a little interesting over time. What yeah. are the nasal, labial? The, the laugh lines there. Yeah, the yeah. laugh lines. Exactly. Yeah, and so, so, you know, yeah, definitely. You know, most of my white patients they'll have issues with their nasal labial folds here yeah. but my black clients they have issues with the smile mm -hmm. line here and they're treated totally different they yeah. think it's the same but it's not the same not. you know it, it, it's definitely it, it's definitely um different mm -hmm. because because also truly black skin does not crack <laughs> it doesn't crack <laughs> it folds with time but it does not crack and it's that's very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is different. And so like, like you said, with like, especially lasers and skincare and things like that, 
knowing and, and having lasers and also having reps who are laser reps, understanding how to teach about that stuff is so important too, because that's another um, gap that these laser reps are going around and, and they couldn't tell you anything about it because they don't know. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of these lasers are not safe for, um, you know, uh, skin types four, five, and six, mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, a lot of these lasers, they do, they are attracted to color melanin. So the mm-hmm. more melanin you have in your skin, the more color you have, the more predisposed you are to, um, to getting burned. Why? Because the melatonin, that the, the melanin, it, it mm-hmm. attracts that heat and it keeps the heat in the skin. So mm-hmm. then therefore you, you have a higher chance of burning. Oh my goodness. And so another thing I want to talk about, I know threads are really popular, um, in the industry right now, you know, PDO threads, mint threads, all, all these different threads and these brands are so popular. And something that, it, you know, I, I don't know about Asian skin, I can only talk about my skin, but I know, or, or Spanish skin, but keloids and, and pigment, hyperpigmentation and, and all of that. And, and so if you, if someone gets a client who comes in, who is a darker skin tone and they, and they want to get threads, what are some precautions that they should take in their consult when they're talking to that patient about a possible thread procedure? I always like to examine the patient's skin and ask them a very thorough history. Like, Mm -hmm. show me one of your scars. I want to see how their scars have healed in the past, you Mm -hmm. know, and also do they have a propensity to, you know, to keloid? Because if you have a propensity to keloid, I would not, I probably would not do threads, you know, because it would just be, you know, high risk. Mm-hmm, um, or mm-hmm. higher risk, right, of, of keloid and, and um, complications. So um, there's that. And then also looking at, um, you know, most most Hispanic Asians and Blacks, you know, we have a propensity of, of getting post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation after like a procedure, after a peel, after anything like that. Even I've seen it even on extractions. Um, oh, and yeah. so you know, asking a very thorough history regarding that so that you know what you're dealing with. I mm-hmm. do PDO threads on tons of black women, obviously, mm-hmm. but that, mm-hmm. those are one of the things I always like to assess. And I always ask them to show me their scars. Like, hey, do you yeah. have any scars? You know, yeah. um, and most of my clients are plastic surgery clients. So I mm-hmm. like to look at their scars and I like to look at their lipo scars. I like to look at their breast lift scars mm-hmm. um, just so I can see how they scar. If they are hypertrophic or keloid scars, you know, I, I just, I stay away from that, you know, and then mm-hmm. if I do have a patient that does suffer from either melasma or the, um, they're very um, sensitive and have uh post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation from like, even like a scratch or anything like that, yeah. I, I will pre-treat my clients with hydroquinone for two weeks before the procedure. And that is just to help to prevent post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, especially wow. with peels. You know, you wow. see, I'm sure you've seen a lot of peel disasters with, with darker skin. Yeah. And it's, had, yeah, it's, a mess. On and it's, look at this result. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh. It's really bad and it's because people, I know, and you know what, and it's because people do not know how to handle dark skin and, um, and these are the things that you have to know about and people, you know, people don't, they're not diagnosed properly when it comes to Mm -hmm. lentigenes, which is just sun damage and freckles and versus melasma, two totally different things treated very differently. 
you know, in the sense of like one, there's one cannot handle lasers. One, one has to be treated a certain way versus the other. So it, it's very important to, to also go with a provider who is competent in treating, you know, darker skin type. And that can manage the complications that come with some of these procedures because it's, it's mm-hmm. most definitely has happened to all of us, you know? Yeah, yeah. definitely. I know that many of us who are women of color don't get procedures because we don't understand and we don't know. I know because I'm in the industry, but you know, I'm speaking for people. We don't understand what these treatments are going to do for us, how they're going to change anything. And no one's really talking to us about it. It just recently became less taboo for the general population to get their Botox and fillers. Some people are tagging y'all like, oh, whatever whatever so right what can you what do you think the industry can do as a whole to just educate those population groups in general well i think is going back to they never included us so the market was always geared towards white women you know, mm-hmm. so like now finally, right, like the FDA and these pharmaceutical companies are like, oh, crap, like now we have to include people of color. So now mm-hmm. when you see mm-hmm. like um, certain ads for like filler and like um, our modulators, now you're starting to see people of color and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to take a while and that's going to take trust, because yeah. as you know, being a minority woman, we mm-hmm. don't trust nobody. <laughs> you know, it's Girl. very hard to it's very hard to get gain our trust. And mm-hmm. I think that our, the only way to gain trust is by showing and proving to us that, hey, you are working with people that look like us, mm-hmm. you know, people mm-hmm. that are our skin color. So um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for that. But, yeah. you know, the industry is waking up now. And yeah. like I said, the FDA has and uh, these pharmaceutical companies have finally included us into the studies. Mm-hmm. So we're now going to start to see more and more marketing um, geared towards, um, you know, minorities. And then obviously there's me that, you know, my loud mouth on Instagram, like I'm always just trying to educate the masses and talk about ethnic aesthetic, um, so that I can educate my clients, um, as much as I possibly can, because again, majority of my clients are people of color, 80% being black, literally like 75, 80% of my practice is black women. Wow, that's just that's so great. And speaking of like the industry is just waking up. Like I don't know, I felt a certain type of way after certain things happened in the United States, and all of a sudden I saw all these, you know, you know, yeah. So all of a sudden now, I was like, yeah. I was like, please, like I, was like, I see you. Same. I know it's and that's what I'm talking about. You know that 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 fakeness to be honest with you you know i think it's so fake people are like oh i have a new program their staff is still all caucasian and everything on their feet is still caucasian right i was i was like i was not here for it but anyways guys don't read too much into that don't look at anybody's instagrams that i follow just stop it um anyways (laughs) so that's so cool and so the last thing i want to leave everybody with so now you've gotten into training um, training practitioners, how to treat ethnic skin, what to look out for and things like that. So tell me about the scope of your training. Do you travel? Do they have to come to you? Tell us a little bit so, about that because I need you. <laughs> yeah. So right now um, I am training in my office here in Miami, Florida. Yeah. Um, however, um, I'm being very selective of who I train. 
Mm -hmm. um, right now. And it is a one-on-one -on -one training. And it's basically like, let's say, you know, I choose you, right, to, to train. Mm -hmm. I want to know what you need to learn. I need to, like, it, it, it's just a very um, individualized um, customized training day for you, specifically for you. So if mm -hmm. you tell me like, Hey, you know what? I want to learn how to inject black girl lips, you know, mm -hmm. or, Hey, you know what I want to do? I want to learn how to do jaw lines, or I want to learn how to contour Asian faces. Then, mm -hmm. then I'm going to make it a point to make sure to get all these models to fit there to train the person as best as I can. So that's what wow. I'm doing, you know, but I'm not, I'm not training any newbies. You know, um, a lot of the things that I do are more advanced. So mm -hmm. I do require people to have at least three years of experience full time mm -hmm. um, because it's safety is a very, very important thing for me. And yeah. so I need to make sure that whatever we are doing, that I don't have to educate you or teach you on how to manage XYZ complication or yeah. adverse event. Like you should already know that if you're injecting, you should already know that yeah wow that's so great so you heard that guys so if you need to get some training on how to treat you know skin like mine or hers or asian skin or have you you know you should reach out for a training because you know those things are not being offered right now by the allergens by the MERS. They're, they're not being offered on a mass scale so you're just going to have to go to the people who actually know about it in this industry and dr zoe is one um so i just have to ask before we go how did you become the chocolate queen? <laughs> How did I become the chocolate queen? Is that the what you queen. Yeah, the chocolate queen on Instagram. Oh, the chocolate queen. Yeah, the chocolate oh queen. Oh my God. You know what? Because, girl, so I'm going to tell you. It's so funny. Tell me. All right. So long story short, I have been on this Instagram platform since 2011. And I have always been no filter. Um, I have always been very outspoken. And I get trolls, you know, so when when Instagram Facebook made the chancla, I just lost my shit because I was like, Oh, my God, I can finally throw the chancla to these people. And and, and that's, that's what I'd be doing. I'm just throwing you the chancla. Oh, and that's yes. it. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh my yes. god, guys, you have to follow both her personal and her business Instagram because she's hilarious. Um, but in any case, you know, so tell our listeners, how can they find you on Instagram, website, you know, are you speaking anywhere next? Like tell us where we can find you. Uh yeah, so my Instagram is injector Zoe. Uh, Zoe, and then my work page is the Indigo Clinic, and that's also my website www.theindigoclinic.com. Um, I am going to be speaking at a big conference in Vegas next um, <gasps> of January. Um, as soon as I get all those, uh, <laughs> as soon as I get all those logistics done, yeah. yes, I'm going to announce it. And of course, I am speaking on ethnic aesthetic. Mm -mm. Yes. Yep. I yes. love it. Yeah, I, I won't I won't it. I'm not I'm not interested. I am not interested in speaking at any conference if, if it does not have to do with minority uh you know aesthetic. So you heard that MERS, you heard the urbanness, you heard that allegation, yep. you heard that aesthetic record, you heard it, you heard it, you heard it. Sorry, sorry, guys. I just really lost it. Yes. Um, so for those who are on video, you'll understand all my face stuff. Those who are just listening on the podcast, I'm sorry because it's probably really annoying. But in any case, 
Dr. Zoe, it was so great having you on the show today. Thank you. This was so fun. much value. So much Thank value. Thank you so much. I appreciate you right, so much. <laughs> Until next All time. Right, girl. Until next time. Yes. I'm going to you after. Yes. Like what you heard? Please leave us a review. I appreciate you listening and your support. Follow us on Instagram at Plan Life Happens and comment on this episode's post. Also, I appreciate your feedback and ideas. Improving is the name of the game. I'm Leslie Tracy, your host. Thanks for listening.